0: Good morning. A few years ago, I was in Paris, and right outside my window every night, I would see the most beautiful, glowing golden dome. It turns out that that dome was the top of the Cathedral of Saint Louis de and it was a chapel built in 1679 as part of the Hospital de Invalides, or the Hospital of Invalids. This massive complex built in the heart of Paris was originally a hospital for the elderly and unwell soldiers. It now serves mainly as administrative offices, as consulates, but primarily as three museums dedicated to France's military history, as well as the tomb of Napoleon. And once you find your way inside this Impressive and massive building, you will find almost a thousand years of military history from France and beyond. Medieval knights and crusaders, Renaissance lords, Napoleonic uniforms, World War II cannons. If you can imagine it, it's most likely there enshrined in glass. This is not a quirk that is unique to the French. In every country and major museum I have visited, from the London Museum to the Smithsonian Museum, from the Vatican to the Louvre, we will always find a section dedicated to the history of human warfare. What I find funny is that when one walks through these collections, in each of these displays, we are given a window into the culture and the time. But it's not based on the battles that were won and lost. It's not based on tactics used or the locations where things were fought. Instead, what we find are displays and rows and rows of uniforms, hats, and shoes, sashes, and buttons. We find weapons laid out, decorated with gold and gemstones, and carvings and ivory. The truth is it looks far more like a fashion display than it does a military one. And it got me thinking that for most of us, especially those of us who have not served, that this is how we tend to identify warriors in our mind. Whether it is the helmet and sandals of the Roman legions, the chainmail of medieval knights, the sword of the samurai, the red coats and muskets of the American Revolution, the camo of the Amodic modern American soldier, or the lightsaber of a Jedi. We recognize who and what people fight for by the weapons they carry and the uniforms they wear. And our passage today is Paul giving us our own uniform. It is Paul telling us what we are to be recognized by as those who serve God. And he does it by talking about the armor of God that we put on. The Ephesians are entreated by Paul to put on the belt of truth and the breastplate of justice, to put on the shoes of the good news of peace, to carry a shield of faith, a helmet of salvation, and a sword of the Spirit and God's Word. Many of us know this passage well. We have sung the song in Sunday school. Maybe we memorized it in confirmation or perhaps we've just heard it misused and abused time and time again in popular culture and by politicians to excuse war and aggression and abuse in the church and beyond. But this is why we need to listen so closely to what Paul is saying because we have heard it so many times. So many times that many of us have forgotten to listen to what's really being said, and instead we just fill it in with our own meanings. See, Paul is writing to the Ephesians, a group of people living in the middle of the Roman Empire, an empire defined by war and aggression. Perhaps we can see the connections to our own world and our own culture. This was a people used to war and fighting. And so Paul does what Paul does best. He takes the words and the language and the culture of our times and their times and he flips it to show us how God's kingdom differs in any kingdom run by human beings. He reminds us that the first Christians in the beginning of the church were pacifists. They were martyrs. When he tells us that this is not a battle against other humans. And too many of us forget that we battle one another, we blame one another, we shame one another, all the while missing the fact that there is something far bigger and more insidious at work in the world. In fact, what Paul writes is that our fight as we know it is against the rulers, authorities, and forces of the cosmic darkness and spiritual powers of evil in the heavens. C.S. Lewis, in his preface to the great work The Screwtape Letters, writes this, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about devils. One is to disbelieve their existence. The other is to believe and to feel excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased with both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. This is profound truth and one we must acknowledge because it is our tendency in the church when we begin to talk about spiritual warfare. On the one hand, there is a group of us who just doesn't want to even talk about the term. It makes our skin crawl. We either think it's outlandish or ridiculous, or maybe we've seen it used in terrible ways to abuse people, and we want to banish it from our minds. There's another group of us that gets obsessed with it, that begins to turn every single battle, every mistake, every bump in the road in our life into some cosmic attempt and attack on us. And one leaves us open to danger because we fail to recognize its presence, And the other tends to lead us into being the ones who create the danger and the pain to begin with. Because there are two truths that we know. One is that there is evil in the world. Overwhelming, violent, painful evil that seeks to diminish and destroy life. But the other truth is that we cannot fight this evil on our own with our own strength, our power, or ingenuity. We are inadequate to defeat a foe that we cannot begin to see or understand. The thing about armor is that it's not foolproof. Even with the very best armor that you can buy in a battle, you're bound to get cut up and injured no matter what. Paul tells us that God has provided us sufficient armor, but it doesn't mean that we then escape the experiences of pain and loss and even death in our life. What it does is give us a fair and best shot of withstanding the pain. And Paul then comes to the crux when he begins this argument. When he says, finally, that means based on everything else that you've read in this letter, finally, based on everything else that I've told you about who God is and who Jesus is, knowing this, be strengthened by the Lord and his powerful strength, put on God's armor. He's reminding the Ephesians and us not to forget that it is by God that we have strength For the battles in our lives, it is through God's gifts that we are protected from evil, not our own. And we can stand because it is through Jesus that God has already struck the killing blow. I don't know about you, but all too often in my own life, I forget that God is with me. And I try to instead put on my own armor to deal with the struggles and pains that I experience. I put on a breastplate of cynicism, maybe shoes of escape in the form of food or alcohol or television or shopping. I put on a belt of anger, a belt of excuses and lies. I use a shield of judgment and hate and my sword is my own unkind words and actions. And what I have found is that these turn out to be pretty poor defenses against the evil in our life. Paul gives us commands, clear commands in this passage that he wants us to hear. He begins by telling us to pick up the armor of God and to take a stand. And in this we hear two things. One, that we will be given the armor we need to make it through, and two, that there will in fact be battles and dark days ahead. The Christian life is not nor ever has it been nor will it ever be a walk in the park, but we are not left defenseless in the midst of all of this. We are called to draw upon the truth and the justice and the peace and the faith that are the gifts of God. These are the tools that God gives us to fight, not weapons of pain and death, but ones that bring light and life back into the world. More than just picking up the armor, God, Paul then tells us to receive from God the helmet of salvation. And it's important to note here that he does switch what we're to do because we can pick up a lot of things, but we can only receive salvation. It is our helmet. It is the protecting force that comes around us, and it is bestowed upon us by God alone to make us secure. So many of the battles we end up fighting in our life stem from our search for this very security and safety that God freely offers to us. But instead of accepting the helmet of salvation, we go and search for it everywhere and anywhere else, trying to pick up whatever we can and never finding it. Finally, Paul says, look, you've got all the defenses that you need. Here is your one offensive weapon. Pick up your, and receive the sword of the Spirit that is God's Word. And Paul is talking about something here that is bigger than the Bible that we keep on our nightstand or the Hebrew Scriptures that the people of Ephesus would have had. He's talking about the very living Word of God that is from the Spirit in each and every one of us that speaks that truth and justice and peace and faith into life. See, the weapons that define the army of God are not ones that destroy life, they're ones that bring it. If in your battles, in your daily life, you find that you are destroying another's humanity, that you are tearing other people down, that you are hurting others, it's time to take an inventory. Because then the weapons you are using are not the weapons of God. They are the weapons of humans and the weapons of evil. And too often these days when the language of fighting spiritual battles is used, it is used by ones who are intent on waging the destruction of other people. And that is not what Paul is calling us to Because the whole letter of Ephesians has been leading up to this one moment. This is the end of his letter. Paul is sitting in jail and he has been writing to the people that he loves and he's trying to convey what they need to know. He's trying and has been trying over the past pages to remind us who God is and who Jesus is and who we are. He has reminded us that God is good and in charge, that Jesus loves us and died for us and cloaked us in salvation, that we as a people are redeemed and broken sinners who are saved by grace, that we are part of a family, of a community that is called to live in a new way. And he's seeking to remind us of these things and to give us the tools that we need in the face of what's coming because he knows. Paul knows that the battles are coming and they are battles that will stretch across centuries and across the world. They are battles that will be in the church and in countries and in our families. They're battles of oppression and war and violence and hatred and selfishness and ignorance and power. And he knows that in the midst of these battles, we are likely to forget, to forget who we are and who it is we are really fighting as we turn against one another instead. The French poet Charles Baudelaire in his short story, The Generous Gambler, written in 1864, reminds us of this trick, this ability that we have or that is pushed on us to forget who it is we're really fighting. He writes, The devil complained in no way of the evil reputation under which he lived all over the world. And he assured me himself that he of all living beings was most interested in the destruction of superstition And he avowed to me that he had been afraid relative to his proper power only once. And that was on the day when he heard a preacher more subtle than the rest of the human herd cry from his pulpit, My dear brothers, don't ever forget when you hear of the progress of lights and wisdom praised, that the loveliest trick the devil ever pulled was to persuade you that he does not exist. Paul knows that we will be persuaded that he does not exist as we turn against one another. And so his final words to the Ephesians are this, pray, pray and keep praying for all those who believe, for the whole world and keep close to the Spirit of God that you might be reminded always about the truth of who God is and who you are and who we're really fighting. Pray like your life depends on it, like it matters, like it's real, because it is. Like Paul, I still believe that as humans we have the potential to be nobler than we know and better than we think that the darkness that we have seen is only a shadow on the potential of the human heart. Unfortunately, we all too often are made hard by the world around us until we finally make a tragic mistake and we walk away from God's armor and protection and we try to create our own. And so, my friends, I urge you to keep your hearts open to the Spirit of God to be free, to be kind, and to reject cynicism, and to believe that good will prevail and that those who do bad will be punished. Because when the hour of the wolf comes, as it comes to us all sooner or later, these are the things that will remind us of who we are and sustain us. Amen.